Before we go uh, to the Lord in prayer for His Word, I want to share with you uh, another answer to prayer. It's actually an extended answer to what I spoke about last week. Those of you who were here last week remember that I had asked the men to pray for an opportunity to, to meet our neighbors, to build relationship with our neighbors. Um, and, uh, and then I told you the story of the neighbor kids breaking through the fence and uh, suddenly having these kids in our yard. And of course, we were obligated to return them, and so we met our neighbors. And um, so that was wonderful. The other side, our other neighbors, we, we've never met them. They're renters, but we have met the, uh, the owners of that rental. He works for Boeing, and apparently uh, Boeing has something going on in Korea, and so he's been in Korea working over there. Well, I just got an email this week uh, that he and his wife are returning from Korea next month, and uh, they will be moving the renters out, and they will be moving back into their home. And so, voila, I know my other neighbors now because I already met them. And so, what a joy uh, to now uh, have the unfolding answer to, these pr- to that prayer uh, be now a relationship uh, with both sides. And I'm just excited to see how it works its way around the cul-de-sac. And so keep praying uh, as you need to be praying uh, for your neighbors and for opportunity uh, to return their lost kids or kittens or whatever the case may be. Let's be mindful of those in our lives that need Christ. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, praying for His Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for the depth of love that you have for us, and we confess uh, that in the grind of life, in the tyranny of the urgent, that the gospel promises that are ours as your people can go so quickly from our minds and from our hearts. We are here this morning to declare to our own hearts and to declare to one another and to declare to the world that these things are true. And so I ask that as we open up your word this morning, that you would not only teach us new things, but that you would deepen things that we already know, that you would take promises that are ours and connect them to Monday morning in very tangible ways, to our neighborhood interactions in very tangible ways. Father, you know me. I'm mindful of my weakness. I'm mindful of my inadequacy. And yet I'm also mindful of your strength, of your mercy, of your power and of the working of your Spirit in this place at this time. And so I ask that you would speak to us once again through your Word for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me once again this morning to the book of John? to the book of John, to the chapters that are known as the Upper Room Discourse or the Farewell Discourse, Jesus' final speech, final sermon to His disciples before He goes 
to the cross. This morning we uh, continue uh, our working through this great discourse, uh, finding ourselves in chapter 14. You certainly can follow along in your insert found in the bulletin as well. I wanted us to find ourselves here during the month of March, during this season of Lent as we lead up to Easter, simply as an opportunity to meditate on Jesus' great love for us. Daniel was a very different study. It was a difficult study, a very difficult exposition Jesus' words in John 14 are not necessarily hard for the mind to get around, but boy, they're hard for the heart to get around. And so my hope in camping out on these chapters is just that God's Spirit will use it in our lives in this season of Lent, in this season of reflection on the passion of our Savior to deepen in us the roots of the gospel that drive everything that we do. Remember in these chapters, Jesus has turned his focus away from the crowds, away from the masses, and he is focusing on his disciples. And these are disciples who are no longer at ease with their master. These are men who are now confused. These are men who are now anxious. They're troubled. Think about about their lives. For the last three years, these men whom Jesus speaks to some 2,000 years ago, they, they have walked away from everything. They've walked away from their careers. They've walked away from their homes. They have been all in on Jesus, what he was about, what his mission was. Now Jesus is saying strange things. He's saying things like, I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you can't come. And the disciples are troubled. What do you mean? We, we left everything. What do you mean we can't follow? And indeed, we know the rest of the story for these men. These next hours, these next days are going to be immensely difficult for the 12 disciples. And although Jesus is facing his own, in his humanity, Jesus is facing his own inner turmoil, he knows and he cares about the struggle of these, his brothers. And so he speaks these words to them, words of peace to troubled hearts, words of reassurance to those who are tempted to feel like orphans, those who are tempted to cry, and maybe this is you at times, God, you're not here, you don't care. Do I really have a future? Are you really aware of what's going on in my life? 
You see, these words of John 14 in particular, these are words not just for the 12, they are for all of us. And they're not just words for us to use at funerals. Although we hear these words a lot at funerals, appropriately so, but these are words for our lives. John 14 is one of the most profound, moving passages in all of Scripture, and we can't possibly, we can't possibly mine all of its riches today. So we're going to just fly over it. We're going to fly over it at 30,000 feet. We're going to look at the majesty of it from the windows, and hopefully the Lord's Spirit will use that in our lives I'm not going to focus on the entire passage, but I do want to read the entire passage. I thought about just reading some chunks, but it's too good. Uh, So stand with me if you're able and give your attention to God's Word. John chapter 14, I'm going to read the entirety of the chapter, verses 1 through 31. Listen as I read. This is God's holy Word. These are the words of our Savior, Jesus He says to us, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And now, and from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give Him glory. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. More Americans died of drug overdoses last year than in the entirety of the Vietnam War. 30,000 people died last year in the U.S. as a result of opioids alone, these drugs that work with the brain receptors to take away pain, to numb. As you know, as a Washington state citizen, we are in the midst of our own opioid epidemic. Well over a thousand people just in our two counties of Snohomish and King County have died of opioid overdose in the last decade. Why do I spit out all of these sobering statistics? Just to make the point that we are a people who are troubled, that we are a people who are looking for peace. Maybe those of us in this room, I hope those of us in the room are not struggling to the point of drug addiction as some are, maybe, but we all in this room struggle with those around us in the same search, in the same need for peace. You see, we all need these words, troubled 
hearts is natural to our existence. Job chapter 5, 6, and 7, one of Job's friends says to him, for affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, but man is born to trouble, even as the sparks fly upward. Some of that trouble is of our own making. Some of that trouble is the result of the brokenness of our own world, but we are all searching for peace. Three things this morning that I want us to think about and meditate on from Jesus' words to His disciples in John 14. As I said, we're going to miss a lot. We're not going to cover much, but let's cover these three things well. And the first truth is this, Jesus has come to bring true peace. Jesus has come to bring to us true peace. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. We might insert a therefore, therefore let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, Jesus has brought peace. He has left peace, and He makes it clear here in this passage that it is not the peace of the world. When we think about peace in our world, we just think about the absence of conflict. But the peace that Jesus brings is so much deeper, it's so much richer, and it's only for you. It's only for His own. I read a definition of this kind of peace this week in my study, and it's one that resonated with me. True peace, the kind of peace that Jesus brings, is the ability to sit down in one's own heart. It's kind of a weird image to think about, but I think it's helpful. True peace is the ability to sit down in one's own heart heart. True peace is the antidote to all anxiety. It's the antidote to all fear. All is well if I have true peace, no matter what my circumstances show me, no matter what my circumstances tell me. Of course, when we think about true peace, That kind of peace can only come when one has peace with God. Peace from the Hebrew word shalom, of course, is a need for humanity right out of the gate. In the garden, our first parents believed the lie that independence from God would bring about freedom. And what they learned is that being far from God actually meant not freedom, but it meant fear. And so after their rebellion, God is searching for them, and what are they doing? They're hiding because they're afraid. And this is still the case today. The further we are from God, the less peace we have, the more fear we are plagued with. And so God set in place for His people in the Old Testament all these systems to restore peace, sacrifices, offerings, peace offerings, the keeping of days and endless regulations. And then Jesus comes, 
And Jesus accomplishes definitively all of what that system pointed towards. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And so, as Jesus speaks these words to His disciples, He knows that soon, in a matter of hours, the atonement for sins is coming. He's going to voluntarily go to the cross in order that peace with God might be made for all who look in faith to Him. And so, Jesus makes one of the boldest, most memorable statements in all of the Scriptures. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in declaring these three things, Jesus fulfills the main offices that God has provided for His covenant people. Jesus is the prophet. He is the priest. He is the king. He's the truth of the Father, the final word. He is the one mediator between God and man. He is the way, and He is the King. He is the life giver. He is the life sustainer. And so He says, to those who need peace in this world, you need peace with the Father. I am the exclusive way to peace. I don't just embody the truth. I am the truth because I and the Father are one. I'm not simply the way to life, I am the life. And so you must find your life in me. You must live united to me, and we'll get to more of what that means next week. I am the true vine. See, this is where peace begins. And yes, in our day and age, this is unpopular. This is the most exclusive claim, and yet it's the most inclusive exclusivity there is. Because Jesus says, belief. And this is what we hold out to our neighbors. This is what we hold out to the world. You need the peace of Christ that can only come through peace with your Maker. Jesus has come to bring true peace. But more than just that foundational declaration of the gospel and what it means to be a child of God, Jesus builds upon that with His people. So, the second truth I want us to focus on is Jesus brings peace through the promise of a place. Jesus brings peace through the promise of a place. I'm afraid that in our modern age of of mobility and travel, many of us don't feel the significance of place. Many of us have moved dozens of times. I think Texans are the only ones who really have an appreciation for place because they're always talking about Texas. And yet all of us begin conversations with people we don't know with questions like, where do you live? Where are you from? Where are your people? Wendell Berry, the author, well-known author, champion of a slow lifestyle, agriculture, he's quoted as saying this, if you don't know where you are, then you don't know who you are. <laughs> 
And I'd like to tweak Wendell Berry a little bit this morning. Apologies to him. If you don't know where you are heading, then you don't know who you are. See, Jesus declares to his followers, I have a place for you, just for you. It's waiting. Verse 2 and 3, in my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that I, where I am, you may also be. This, this promise of a place stands at the end of all things. It, it, everything points to this promise of a place. And what does this exactly look like? We don't know. We often think about this verse as, as mansions. Somewhere along the line in translations, mansions became a translation, but the literal translation is simply abiding places. The emphasis is not on the specifics of what it looks like. It's the emphasis on the fact that you have a place. And this is not a place like the ones you visit on vacation, no matter how nice Hawaii or the Cancun is. This is a place that is home. This is a place where you belong. This is a place where you truly can be who you are without hiding, without shame, where you are loved, where you are accepted. And where the people you love are, namely, Jesus himself. And so Jesus tells his disciples, they're going to need this in the coming hour. They're going to need this in the coming days. They're going to need this truth. That Jesus is preparing a place for us. What does that preparing look like? I have no idea. We've talked some about heaven. We've talked some about the new heavens and the new earth. There's a lot of mystery there. But there's a lot of certainty as well. And this promise of a place and this promise of Jesus' preparation made me think about a routine that our family used to have about 10 years ago when our kids were younger and we were living in San Diego. After Sunday evening worship, we would go to Taco Bell. And why Taco Bell? I know it's terrible food. But we love Taco Bell. And Taco Bell, you can get like 10 tacos for like $3. I don't know how much it is. And in a family of uh, our size, that's helpful. And so we'd go to Taco Bell on the way home. And then we'd plant ourselves in front of the TV and we used to watch Home Extreme Makeover. Whatever happened to that show? Ty, Ty, Penny, I could, Ty Pennington or something, that was his name. We used to love that show. Those of you who've never seen it, Ty and his crew, they'd come, they'd surprise this family, and, and the family would be all dressed like they were expecting someone to come in, but they were act like they didn't know anyone was coming. And, and so they'd come out, and, and they'd get in a limousine, and they'd go off to Disneyland for a week, and then Ty and his crew would come in, and they'd totally renovate the house. Just make it all new. One of the things that he and his crew would do before that, though, is they'd sit down with all the kids, and they'd sit down with everybody, and they'd, they'd press into them, and they'd find out who they are, 
What are they like? What kind of style do they have? And then when the kids came back, bam, there was their Star Wars room. Or bam, there was a baseball diamond in the middle of their room. Now certainly Jesus' preparation of a home and a place is more profound than what color paint you like. But it's at least the beginning of an image that your Savior, the one who walked in your shoes, the one who loves you so much that he got down on his knees, is willing to scrub the grime off of your feet. That that Jesus right now is preparing a place for you. And he wants you to know that because he wants it to communicate peace. Just as we all long for peace, we all long for place. C.S. Lewis says in The Problem of Pain, a little book, he says, we all have, all of humanity has this inconsolable longing for heaven. He calls it the secret signature of the soul. It's peace. It's a place. Paul in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4, a familiar passage to followers of Jesus says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We hear that passage a lot at funerals as well. And he goes on to describe the return of Jesus and the resurrection, and he ends with this statement, therefore encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. To anxious, to fearful, to troubled hearts, whether they be disciples 2,000 years ago who are about to walk a very difficult road as they planted the early church, or whether it be you here this morning, no matter what you're struggling with, Jesus brings peace to you through the promise of a place. And then one final comfort this morning, we need to close. Jesus brings peace through the presence of of His Spirit. Jesus brings peace through the presence of His Spirit. You see, Jesus is anticipating His disciples' fear. And so, what does He say to them? I will not leave you as orphans. Don't think that you are alone. Troubled hearts become more troubled when they sense that they are alone. And so Jesus' words in verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper and He will be in you. And then down in verse 26, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Alas parakletos is the phrase in Greek. I want to look at those two words for a moment. Parakletos. Para meaning beside. Kletos from the Greek word kaleo meaning to call or to declare. So this is one. Jesus is going to send one who is coming alongside to in some way declare. But if you look at the various translations 
maybe some of you have different translations than the ESV, which I read out of this morning. You'll find a, a variety of words that are trying to capture that word, parakletos, helper, counselor, comforter, advocate. And really, all of those words are helpful because one English word can't describe the richness of that one Greek word. We'll come back to that in a moment. But then there's this other word, alos, translated here as another, another comforter, another helper. You know, there are two Greek words for another. The one that's used here and then a one that's used in other contexts. So what's the difference? The difference is that heritas, the one that is not used here, carries with it the another that is different. So another flavor of ice cream. It's an entirely different flavor. But this word that John uses here, that Jesus says here, carries with it this meaning that another is of the same kind. So when Jesus says another helper, he's not saying a totally different, he's saying of the same kind. And this matters because as Jesus is leaving, Jesus is saying that the Father will send someone who is just like him. This is not uh, big brother Jesus being replaced with, with uncle Holy Spirit. No, this is big brother Jesus being replaced with big brother Jesus, in a sense, with big brother spirits. In the mystery of the Trinity, we don't understand exactly how that works. But in 1 John 2, John says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's the same word used here to describe Jesus as an advocate that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, the another who is coming, sent from the Father. So the takeaway is this, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your trouble, you are not alone. More than that, you have an advocate. More than that, you are lost in this advocate. We sometimes think about the word advocate in, in legal terms, and that's good, that's helpful for us to think about because the Greek word has that usage. So think for a moment about a courtroom, and do you notice when you see someone who's being defended in court, that the person who's being defended, they don't have to say anything. They could have done the stupidest thing. They have no words to defend themselves. They have nothing to say positively, nor could they say anything positively. And yet still, they go free or they win the case. Well, how does that happen? Well, that's because Theo, who's not a defense attorney, but he is an attorney. Theo, when Theo is defending me in court, his eloquence is my eloquence. His knowledge of the law is my knowledge of the law. His display of compassion is my display of compassion. His rapport with the jury and the judge is 
my rapport with the jury and judge. I am lost in my advocate. And that's the comfort of the gospel. Our first advocate, Jesus, has brought us peace with God. Our second advocate, the Holy Spirit, who is in the mystery of the Trinity, Jesus continues to apply that peace, continues to point us to Jesus, continues to point us to the truth. And so 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, John says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. The God who resides in us, the Spirit who resides in us is greater than our heart and can shush the condemnations that we find there. Jesus brings peace through the presence of His Spirit. No matter how you feel, you are not alone. Jesus is with you by His Spirit. The Spirit is leading you. The Spirit is moving in you. The Spirit is producing fruit in you. So Jesus reminds you Don't be troubled. Walk by faith. Not get your stuff together, but just simply believe. Believe that I have saved you. Believe that I am preparing you a place. Believe that I am still with you. And let that belief bring about perspective in your life. Let it change you. Knowing Christ, growing in Christ, truly apprehending the peace that Jesus speaks to his followers and left for you, peace that is not of the world, truly understanding that and apprehending that means that you ought to be less troubled by things this year than you were last year. It's simply gospel growth. It doesn't mean God loves you more. It doesn't mean you're more acceptable. It simply means you are letting those roots of the gospel deepen in your heart and in your life. And you're making Paul's words in Romans 8 your own. One commentator that I read said, we ought to hear Paul's words in Romans 8 as shouts. When he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one, nothing. So in your trouble, no peace. The world is full of counterfeit peace. The kind that Numbs the senses. We've already spoke about that. The kind that is dependent fully upon our circumstances. If I am not comfortable, then I am not at peace. The kind that only lasts for a moment and then it's gone. 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke words of peace, words of assurance, words of comfort to 12 men in a small room and in the Middle East. And those words ring true today in Edmonds, Washington, as they did then, and even, maybe even more so, 
Because these men had yet to witness the power that was still to come, the power that was going to raise Jesus from the dead, a power that would come upon them in tongues of fire at Pentecost as the Spirit's presence became real in their lives. Brothers and sisters, this is real peace. This is gospel peace. And Jesus reminds you to believe it and to not let your hearts be troubled. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the words of our Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would give us grace by your spirit, that spirit who resides in this place of worship in all the hearts of those who believe and that you would deepen in us an understanding, an assurance, a peace that would overflow into all of those pockets of our lives where we have kept you out. Oh, Father, teach us and grow us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.